And uh, for my buddies that don't believe in the rapture, I'd say, see, I told you so. But uh, that's in the flesh. Romans chapter 13. And would you please stand with me as we honor God's word by reading and standing as we read. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1. Let every soul be subject unto the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due... Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would enable me to preach this message. I ask you, Lord, that I would not meddle in the flesh, but that I would stay true to your word. God, you are awesome. You are holy. We bow before you. And I thank you, God, that we are in you. We are in Christ, the hope of all glory, Christ in us. And Lord, I just thank you so much for your redeeming work on the cross of Calvary. Father, if there's one here that has never trusted in you, he or she has never heard the gospel and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for his or her eternal salvation, may today be that day. Oh God, I pray your work be done in our lives. Draw us closer to you. Do something mighty. May we be salt and light that you've called us to do. May we be continually being conformed into your image. And may we, by our lives, bring you honor and glory. Again, I need your help, Lord. I ask you for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm aware that this text perhaps might take some, make some of you uncomfortable. But there's this thought that's prevalent in humans that what we feel should guide our actions and our opinions. However, because you and I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, and because of the Bible and its truth, and it is God's word, the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. That's a word called sola scriptura. It means that the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. The Bible matters more than your opinion. And it's important, it's more than my opinion. It is the Word of God. But there's a prevailing problem in our churches today in that we have moved away from proclaiming the gospel to political activism. There is nowhere in the scripture where we are commanded to participate in political activism. Nowhere. You'll not see the hint. You'll not find Jesus at all involved in political activism. Yet as we see today, some preachers are making names for themselves by becoming involved in politics. 
Some even have had a political figures speak. They've given their church service over to a certain sway of political figure and allow them to speak in their church, which to me is unconscionable. It's Christ's church. One in particular, some of you are familiar with, years ago, years ago, years ago, we preached in this church a revival. And he's gone off the rails, stirring up fights just for publicity and various Christians share it and they think it's great and they, they, they think, oh yeah, this is great, but it's so unchristlike, it's not even funny. In one, one of his sermons where he was going off and someone shared a clip, he actually said something that was very, I think, very, very inappropriate to come out of a Christian's mouth. Very worldly. You see, the devil knows this all too well. If he can get us stirred up in the flesh, if he can get us stirred up in the flesh and thinking about the symptoms of the problem, then we neglect the root of the problem. The root of the problem is man is a sinner. That's the root problem. The root problem is we are so such, I should say, sinners. Please hear me out. Political leaders are here for a short time and political seasons change. Good, bad, ugly. One party, the other party, it does not matter. It's just a short time. And we have bought into this notion that we can improve the life of Christians by improving the political climate. You cannot. John MacArthur says, the church getting involved in politics is like a heart surgeon becoming a makeup artist. He moves from saving lives to making the outside look good. Think about that. It's hugely profound. So what does that have to do with our text? In our text, we are commanded to be subject to our government. Now, many of us here, our first thought is, wait a minute, our government is off the rails. Perhaps, but I remind you of the government at the time this was written. Do you know that Jesus operated under Roman oppression? Under Roman rule, he operated. He never sinned. He was the Son of God. And he did all his miraculous works. And you know, it was not the Roman government that gave him the most difficult time. You know what it was? It was the religious crowd, the Pharisees. At the time of this writing, Paul writes, much of the world was under Roman rule. Jerusalem was oppressed by the Romans. The Romans told the Jewish people what they could do, when they could do it, and how they could do it. They would allow them to worship in their synagogues as long as it met all their criteria. No one has busted through our door and told us how we can and cannot worship. So Paul, when he writes a big portion of the New Testament, he writes in prison for being a Christian. So Paul is writing, and he is not oblivious to governmental oppression, but he says that's not the issue. The issue is men and women are sinners and they need redeemed. By the Lord Jesus Christ. They need the gospel. And we've set aside the gospel for a political agenda and it's hurting the cause of Christ. Notice he says, first of all, be submissive to government. In verses 1 through 5. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. First of all, we see that this is a command of Scripture. Paul is not suggesting or making an advisement that we should obey the government. He is telling us we have a duty as a Christ follower to be obedient to the authority that God has appointed whether you agree with him or not. Paul writes to Christians, every one of us should be submissive to the government. Submissive here means that we should obey their authority. We should bring ourselves under subjection to them. Remember, we're talking about Romans 12 Christians, men and women that have been consecrated, men and women that have surrendered themselves to Christ. In fact, if you have surrendered yourself to the Lord, then you must obey what the Scripture says, and the Scripture says... Obey the government. Come on, man. You, you expect with the government's man, I know all that argument. Just bear with me. Let's work through the text. Let's let the Bible speak. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. Well, then why should we submit to the government? I mean, come on, really. Why should we submit to the government? Well, I've already told you, first and foremost, because we belong to Christ. But he lays out for us some very good reasons. I would tell you the reason we should is because, first of all, all authority is ordained or appointed by God. That's what the Word says. You can spin it, you can twist it, you can manufacture it, you can do what you want. But I am telling you this, the Word of God speaks clearly on this matter. Let everyone, every soul, be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. According to the scriptures, it is God who appoints the authorities who exist. And when you rebel against them, you rebel against God and you bring judgment upon yourself. Really? Yeah, look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. The Word of God is clear. You say, well, this is just an obscure passage. Oh, yeah? Well, what does Titus 3.1 says? Titus 3.1 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. God's Word is full of the exhortation, the command, that we, in fact, obey the government. There's all kinds of thoughts going on. I can see your wheels turning. But what if, preacher, but what if, do you just follow with me, hang on, I'll get to the what if in a minute. I know what your what if is and I'll get it in a minute. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. So the first reason we do it is because all authority is ordained by God. And may I say this, parents, teach your children to respect authority. And if they do not respect you, they will not respect their teacher, and your teacher will have to de- their teacher will have to deal with it. And if they do not respect your, the, the teacher, they're not going to respect you. They're not going to respect the, the police officers. The majority of our police officers are fine men and women doing a job that none of us would do for horrible pay. Amen. And they deserve to be respected. Amen. I'm just saying that. Number two, because rulers are a terror to evil. I love this. Look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise 
praise uh, from the same. Let me ask you a question. Let's take a survey here. I know the answer. You're driving down 52, and coming towards you is this little gray car with blue lights on top. What is your first reaction? 99% of the people, 100% of the people I've asked this personally, they tell me, I put on the brakes before I even look at my odometer. You know why? Because you're afraid of the authority. You know how to become unafraid of the authority? Drive the speed limit. But preacher... But preacher, it's just the speed limit. Hey, it's the Bible, right? This is how we Christians explain things away. We're to be second-mile Christians. And this is the problem with the church. We explain away the Word of God. It's just a speed limit. It's just a speeding ticket. It's no, I'm so important that I have to be there at this time. Well, get out of bed earlier. Now, I know there are some pessimists here that saying, you're wrong, preacher, because there are these policemen. They're just out looking for people. Hello, they're policemen. That's their job. It reminds me of the woman and man that were driving down the road and they got pulled over. And the woman's going off on the man. And she, he's saying, shut up. And she's saying this. And he said, I told you, woman, shut up. And the policeman's standing there observing this. And she said, I told you you're going to get speed ticket. You're going to pull it over. And he said, woman, I'm telling you, you better shut your mouth now. And the policeman leaned his head in and said, ma'am, does he always talk to you this way? She said, no, only when he's been drinking. <laughs> you do not have to worry about the law if you're not breaking it. But what do we Christians do? We get a pass because we're Christians. We get a pass. I'm telling you, sometimes the testimony of the church is ruined by Christians who think they're above the law. I don't have to obey the law. I'm God's man. Well, let me tell you something. If you were God's man, you would be obeying the law because that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. And the rulers are a terror to evil. Number three, because rulers are God's minister for good. This is why we should submit to authority, because rulers are God's minister for good. Look in verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. I mean, are you going to stand before a judge having been guilty, been caught in the act, and tell the judge, it's just a little law? I mean, no. You will not. It's hard to comprehend this because every one of us perhaps has an illustration of a corrupt leader. And I'll be honest with you. I think the biggest con that is ever on the face of the earth is human government. It's the biggest con. You think about this. Why in the world would a multi-millionaire want a job that pays about $400,000 a year? Think about it. God ordained governments primarily to protect its people. And I'll say to you that America and all the problems that it has, it's still, in my opinion, the greatest country we can live on on the face of this earth. 
And one of the ways the government protects its people is by the judgment of evil. There are no exceptions to the rules. Now, there are some places where we have extreme judges that let criminals go. And I can't always understand that, and I wonder about injustice. But let me tell you something. God will make everything right in his time. And we have to trust that. And there are things that we can do. If we have judges like that, you can vote them out. But I tell you this. God is the final judge and he'll make all things right in the end. And because, because they are God's minister, the rulers are God's minister, that's why we obey them. Number four, because of our conscience sake. Look at verse five. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, not only because you're afraid of the judgment that might come upon you if you break the law, but also for conscience sake you have to live with yourself you have to look at yourself in the mirror every day we must all know the value of a clear conscience there are people who have done things and after they did what they did they realized the consequences and their conscience never had peace because of it. What price do you put on having a good, clear conscience? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For whose sake? The Lord's sake. Whether to the king as supreme or to the governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God. That by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I can't be responsible for you and you can't be responsible for me. You're responsible for you. And I need a clear conscience, and you need a clear conscience. And when I submit to the government, I am doing it because of my relationship with the Lord. Did you hear what he said? I'm going to read it to you again. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, or for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that doing good by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's a clear conscience. It's a clear conscience. When I submit to government and I'm doing it because of my relationship with the Lord, my conscience can be clear because I'm obeying the scriptures and not just the government. Now, Paul gives us an illustration in this. The most dreaded thing in Scripture, I think. And he says this. <laughs> Verse 6. For because this you pay, you also pay taxes. That's the dreaded, most dreaded thing in Scripture, paying taxes. Who likes to pay taxes? No one likes to pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore all 
their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, I want you to put yourself in their position. In that day, they would have to go pay their Roman taxes. There would be Jewish men who would then come and collect the tax on behalf of Rome, and they would charge a fee. How many of you remember a little fellow named Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector, right? Very unpopular guy. But he would extort from them. And Paul and everyone, his audience, knowing that these men extorted these taxes, he tells them to submit and pay it anyways. I find it interesting. Jesus was going to pay taxes. And the disciple says, we don't have any money. He said, I want you to go down to the water. I want you to catch a fish. And in the, fish you'll find, in the fish's mouth, you'll find money. Bryce said yesterday, <laughs> that's why he doesn't do well fishing. He doesn't catch fish, and they certainly don't have money in their mouth. But he said, Jesus also said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus not only told us to do this, but he lived this out before us. Now, here's the question. When should we not obey government? Is there an instance when we should not obey government? Absolutely there is. There are two instances, only two in the Bible. First of all, scripturally, there are two instances when we should not obey government. Number one, when government tells us we can't do what God told us to do. In other words, God's word tells us to do something and the government says you can't do that, then we obey God rather than men. The Bible's clear on that. I'll show you in just a moment. And secondly, when government tells us to do what God's word told us not to do, i.e., church, you, can't, you must do this or face the consequences. And God's word forbids that. We do not do it. We obey God, not the government. Is there... Bible for this. Yes, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 5, it'll be on the screen. We see this perfectly illustrated. Let me just read to you verses 12 through 29. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of them rest dare join, going, join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from around surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they all were healed. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, listen to what the angel says, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Go tell them the gospel. Don't go conjure up a political rally don't go get the signs and do this. Go to the temple, speak the words of life, the gospel. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent into the prison <clears throat> to have them brought. 
But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went out with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, I love this, and look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. When the government told them, put them in prison and said, You cannot, you cannot preach the gospel. The angel of the Lord let them out and they went and preached the gospel. They obeyed God rather than men. Why? Because the only two instances when we can avoid what the government tells us is when they try to make us do something God's word says not to do or they try to keep us from doing something that God's word tells us we should do. They went on to preach the gospel. You can say many things about the government you want, but no one has tried to stop us from sharing the gospel in the United States of America. I'll give you one last illustration. This is one a little closer to home. Grace Community Church, the one that John MacArthur pastors out in California. After things started opening back up, they deemed it necessary to go back to church. They went back to church. They had a, a uh, contract with the government, the city government, in which they leased a lot to park cars on. Well, the, church, the government told them, close your church down, or we're going to take that, revoke that lease. And they did not close the church down. They revoked the lease. Then they tried to stop them physically from having church. Well, Grace Community Church entered into a lawsuit, and I think it was like $500,000 they won in court because the government had crossed the line because in our Constitution we are protected. There's nowhere in the Constitution that says separation of church and state. That's not, that's not in the Constitution. The Constitution tells us that we can't, the government cannot, cannot stop us from our free exercise of religion. Nor can the government make you or mandate you to participate in a religion. And so this was an example, a perfect example of the government telling the church not to do what God's word said to do. The Bible tells us that we are to assemble together. We are to not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There is no question about it. Assembling together is in a public forum with public people together publicly worshiping the Lord of Jesus Christ. There is no way around that scripture. There is no way around it. The Bible tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And what happened? They won in court. And what did they do? They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel. So... What's the application? I mean, 
really, what, what's the application here? We know we're supposed to keep the law, but how can we become active in this? Well, first of all, I think that we need to heed the Scripture. And this is one for me, and I, I want to be honest with you, and I, I, I don't do this. This is strange for me. This week I manuscripted, I typed out my whole message because I didn't want to speak in the flesh. Because my flesh sometimes, because of my opinions, not, and I'm confessing to you, because my opinions sometimes override what I think should be said. And so I want to be very careful with this. And um, I, uh, in the scriptures, if I can find it here, we're commanded to pray. I think it's 2 Timothy. We have it up there. 2 Timothy, is it 1, one through 4, I think? 2, 1 through 4. We're commanded to pray for our leaders. Therefore, I exert Exhort, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I struggle because sometimes there are people who differ than I politically that are leaders. But do you know that I am commanded in Scripture rather than complain about them, I should be praying for them? And I struggle in the flesh. And I'm wrong. Because the Bible tells us what? What could happen if the church decided we would pray for our leaders? I mean, we began to pray for them. I mean, we really began to pray for them. And we began to pray like this. And we began to live quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. See, these guys that get involved in politics, they're, they're shouting. They're anything quiet and peaceable. They love a good fight because the fight gives them attention. And they do it for likes on Facebook and numbers and all that. But one day they're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And one day they're going to give an account of all they've done since they've been saved. And I am and you are. And I want to be like Christ. We've got to get over this image of religion and what we think religion is. We've got to get back to what the Word of God says is. Amen. And we as Christians are to be law-abiding citizens. And we are to live peaceable and quiet lives. Now, there is a time to fight, as Ecclesiastes tells us, but God will tell us when it's time to fight. But we're fighting the wrong battles. We're fighting on the periphery of things that don't matter and we've set aside the gospel. Notice what he says. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We've got this, this contrast here. You can be vehement and you can be politically motivated and shouting, sputing and putting everybody in their place and not giving the gospel. And nothing will happen. Because someone's going to come on the scene four years later, eight years later, and it's going to rotate around. Or we can accept what is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, 
who desires all men to be saved, and we can start focusing on the gospel one soul at a time, and don't worry about the politic, but worry about the soul. The soul's going to last forever. The politics are going to pass. You think there's politics in heaven? No, it's a dictatorship. And he is king. And he is Lord. And we will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. One of the greatest things I've done in a long time for my well-being, turn off the news. Hallelujah. I'm not so argumentative anymore. I'm not looking for a fight anymore. I'm not looking for a conversation. When I start scrolling and seeing that garbage on Facebook, put it down and go do something else. We would be wise, perhaps, to follow some of the leading of some of our senior saints who watch gun smoke all the time. I've been waiting for an amen from that fella. He's got a t-shirt, he's got a coffee mug, and... But anyways, pray for our leaders, and let's get back to presenting the gospel. Can I ask you a question, church? I confessed to our men's Bible study yesterday. As a Christian, I'm not talking as a pastor, as a Christian, I'm falling way short when it comes to sharing my faith with unbelievers. Oh, sure, I share it. I get the opportunity to stand in the pulpit, and you know, weekly I get to share the gospel. But I'm talking about outside these walls when I see people out in the world hurting, dying, suffering. And you know, sad to say, the opportunities I have to share Christ are all around. But taking advantage of those opportunities are becoming fewer and far between. And I'm ashamed. That's my prayer this week. Brother Jason had a devotion and challenged us to one thing, pray some, one thing this week. And that thing this week I'm latching on to is that I would get back personally sharing the gospel. Listen, nobody cares about my opinion. I, half the time I don't even care about my opinion. Half the time my opinion changes. I forget. I'll give my opinion and I forget. Is anybody else with me? Nobody cares about that. But you know what? If we start looking through the compassion of the eyes of Jesus Christ and seeing everyone as a soul that's going to spend an eternity somewhere and we could start sharing our faith with Jesus Christ or sharing our faith of Jesus Christ with the lost, we would see something miraculous happen. We can thrive under governmental oppression. As a matter of fact, if you study church history, the times the church most was successful was when it was being persecuted most. It's the time of blessings that we arrive at a place where we expect and we have an ex a mentality of we deserve this. We don't deserve anything but hell. Thanks be unto God that Jesus Christ stepped in and gave us what we did not deserve. He gave us grace and mercy. So I challenge you today. Be right with God. Obey the laws of the land. And if you come to a place where the law of the land goes against the word of God, stand with the word of God. But I use this because it's common to everybody. I use it because it's every one of us simple. That speed limit 
sign out there on the road has nothing to do with restricting your Christian living. Has nothing to do with it. Do not confuse the two. Do not confuse the two. Pray for our leaders and, pray, and, and present the gospel to the lost. That's what we should do in this day we live. Would you stand with me for prayer?